Today's episode of What's on Your Bookshelf is brought to you by Insignia Training Partners, the leaders in outsourced L&D talent and resources. Insignia is a full-service learning and development company that provides L&D talent to design, develop, and deploy your training solutions. Insignia specializes in providing the right resources for your projects at a fraction of the cost as opposed to bringing on new full-time employees. This includes fractional chief learning officer services for enterprise training strategy, instructional designers to develop your training content and materials, facilitators to deliver in-person or virtual training to your staff, LMS administrators to manage the process, virtual training producers to make sure your virtual training is engaging and effective, and coaches to support the learning after training is completed. If you don't have a training department, that's okay. Insignia can be your bolt-on training department. With Insignia, you get dedicated resources providing fractional services by specialists in their field. Whether it's onboarding new hires, upskilling your team, or ensuring compliance, Insignia designs impactful programs that stick. Visit insigniatraining.com to discover their full range of services and to schedule a free consultation. Insignia is your partner for training success. Welcome to What's on Your Bookshelf with your hosts, Denise Russo and Samantha Powell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf. This is a life and leadership podcast where we're learning the lessons and living them out loud from the books that are on our shelves. My name is Denise Russo, and I'm here with my friend and co-host, Samantha Powell, and we are working through Atomic Habits by James Clear. Today, we're starting on the first law of the book, which is called Make It Obvious. Sam, looking forward to talking with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm super excited to get this going because this starts the meat of the book. This starts our first law of the four laws, so I'm super excited to talk to you about all this. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So this first law, make it obvious, just to kind of give a summary for people that are listening in. If you've missed any of the episodes, you can go back to any of the previous episodes. You can jump right in here. We definitely encourage you to grab a copy of the book or even look at some of the materials that James Clear has online on his website. But this first law is, like Sam said, a part of four different laws. The first one, making it obvious. The second, making it attractive. Third, making it easy. The fourth, making it satisfying. So today we're going to be talking about things that we can do to make our habits obvious. So Sam, when you think about the beginning of this chapter, what stood out most to you? Mm, So this one starts out with a story about a woman who was a paramedic and she ended up saving her father-in-law's life because she was at a family event, looked at him and just said, he doesn't look right, (laughs) right? He just like, Something about you just doesn't look right. I think you should go to the hospital. He did. And she ended up um, saving him from having a, a really, really bad medical issue. And so this chapter really kicks off with the human brain is a prediction machine. It is continuously taking in your surroundings and analyzing the information it comes across. And that we underestimate how much our brains and bodies can do without thinking. And I just thought that wasn't such an interesting concept and thought process. And the first thing I thought of was every time we say like, I'm trusting my gut, I've got this gut feeling, right? Like, I feel like I should do this and I don't know why, or I feel like I should not do this and I don't know why. 
And I think that it's because your brain is processing this. Your subconscious has gone through all of the information, all the criteria and is processing it and giving you a feeling, giving you kind of this unconscious thought about something's not right or something is right. And we should, we should follow it even when our conscious brain can't catch up with it. Do you think it's really about intuition and a gut feeling, or do you think it comes from some subconscious thought that might have been programmed in you from maybe in your past? I, I think that's exactly. I think that I think the second thing what you said is exactly it, right? And I think that's the point that James is trying to make. Your brain is processing everything going on around you constantly. And it's, I mean, right, people who call the brain like the ultimate supercomputer, like nothing can compute the way our brain can compute everything that's going on in the day. And so when we say things like, oh, I have intuition, intuition is, is just your brain, like, right, intuition isn't a thing, it's your brain processing a whole bunch of information and giving you that subconscious gut feeling. I think what's so interesting about thinking through this as I'm listening to you say it is it almost seems like there is this blend of logical process, the, the act of the doing, combined with the emotional feeling, so the, the feeling side. So if you feel a certain way, then what do you do about it? And so the book talks about how one of the most surprising insights about our habits is that you don't need to necessarily be aware of a cue for a habit to begin, but it all starts with a cue. And maybe that cue does come from something in your subconscious or your past. And it actually has me thinking about how I live in Florida. And so we are accustomed to having storms. Mm -hmm. And we just experienced a storm that came through this past uh, week. And instantly, when I was thinking about what we needed to do. I think I first started with not the emotional feeling that a storm was coming, like nothing about it really bothered me the way that maybe it would bother someone who was new to it. In fact, I remember seeing a post from a friend who was saying, I've just moved to Florida. I'm so nervous. Or I would see all these posts on the parent portal of the colleges where both of my kids go from parents who thought this is the first time my my son or daughter's ever been in Florida. What do we do? Where do we go? It was up based on the emotion but I think for me, it was based on the logical process. So I knew there were certain things I had to do to create this environment that would keep us safe, like pull all the plants inside, lower down all the umbrellas on the back patio, go pack sandbags. So it's interesting to think about if you do have something that's happened, either a habit or this unconscious competence about something that's happened in your past how I wonder what you think about Sam does it lean more on the logical side than the emotional side if it's something that you're not to say comfortable with but that you're more familiar with hmm. I think I I do not look as logic and emotion as two separate things I think that your brain is processing logically because it is it is a computer at the end of the day, really. And it like kind of falls into that definition. I think your brain is processing stuff. And as it processes stuff, it tells your brain and your body, therefore, right, your brain controls your whole body to react in a certain way. And that reaction is the emotion, right? So like, uh, if I think about, I don't know, something as simple as like a dog coming at me. Right. If my if my experience is that dogs have bit me and that they are dangerous. 
right? I'm going to have an emotional fear reaction to that because logically my brain has done that. So to me, I don't separate, am I having an emotional reaction or a logical reaction? My emotional reactions are based in my brain's logic of my experiences in my past and the habits and the processing and that the connections that my brain has made. Whereas if I'm a person who grew up with dogs and I love dogs and dogs are wonderful and they're fluffy and they're cute, I see a dog and I go, oh, yay, puppy. Mm. Like, let's mm. pet it and let's run over to it, right? Like, it's the same situation. and that, But that emotional response could be very differently because my subconscious brain, based on my whole life, based on all of my experiences, is processing it differently, right? It's, it's shooting out different things. So I think for me, when I think about it, I, I do not separate the two i think emotions as illogical like as we like to label them are not illogical <laughs> i do not i think emotions are very logical if we make if we understand them right if we question them if we dive into them if we look at them but we also have to allow ourselves to feel them as well right like it's valid to sit there and feel that anger feel that sadness you had made a comment in our pre-call where we were talking about making the unconscious conscious and interestingly there were a couple stories in this chapter where james was talking about people that were going through something that was a habit and that was wrote that turned out to be something well, maybe sort of funny, but not funny. So there was one story where there was this uh, retail clerk. And so she was in the habit that anytime somebody gave her a gift card to pay for something, once the gift card was empty, then she would cut it up with scissors and throw it away. And so she had an experience where one day she cashed out a couple of customers in a row who used gift cards. And so she was cutting up the cards and throwing them away. And when the next person walked up, the clerk took their actual credit card and accidentally cut the card in half because she was on autopilot. <laughs> and it sort of reminds me of a story that we told in a previous episode. So please go back and listen to our What's on the Bookshelf episodes. This came in a story that I think we were sharing maybe during Coach Wooden, but it might have even been in a story before that. They're all blurring, right? Because they've now become unconscious to our thoughts. But there was an episode we talked about where I used to work for Universal Studios many, many years ago. And my one of my jobs there was to give tours to uh, people coming into the park. And if you've never been to Universal Studios, the way it's set out is that there's one side of the park that goes to the right that that emulates like Hollywood and California. But if you go to the left, it looks like New York City and uh, more skyscrapers downtown. And so I remember that I would you had to memorize the script. So sometimes the tour would go to the left and sometimes it would go to the right. And this particular day, I don't know if I was just exhausted or if it was just so hot outside, we ended up taking the train uh, in, an, in an abnormal direction. It should have been like you go left and then your next time out you go to the right and then you go to the left and then you go to the right. For some reason, this particular day, we went to the right twice. And so I don't I don't know even why I remember this story because it's like 30 years old now. But I remember going to the right the second time and I started giving the speech to the people that were on the tour as if they were looking at things in New York City, not what was actually in front of them that looked like Hollywood. And I noticed maybe halfway through that people were looking very like 
They were not sure what was going on. And they started looking back at me like, what is happening here? And it wasn't until then that I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm literally describing something that isn't even right in front of us. But my brain was processing that it was. And I remember there were a couple of people that got off the the uh, train and looked at me very strangely. And there were some others that came up to me laughing and like, that's the best tour we've ever had. We're definitely coming back for the next one. So, yeah. So, Carl Jung said in the book that until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. And you were sharing a story earlier about how how these things happen in our subconscious. But it made me think of that story because something that was very subconscious to me was did not become conscious until I saw the cues from the people that were listening to me tell this <laughs> crazy story. Yeah. And it's funny. It, it really is funny how much of our life that we do on autopilot like that. Like I think about simple things in the morning. Like when I get out of bed, right? I have a really similar thing, but like I come downstairs after I get dressed and the very first thing that I do is I walk to my coffee machine and I make a cup of coffee. I don't even think about it. I have never once thought about that. I go in and I make the coffee. I might decide which coffee do I want flavored or not flavored, but I go in and that it's an immediate thing, right? And if I wanted to change my caffeine habit, I would have to really bring that into a conscious thought process, right? Like interrupt that. And this this whole law is about making it obvious. But to make something obvious, that's exactly what Carl Jung is saying. Is like you you have to bring those unconscious things that you're doing into into consciousness because if not if you don't you end up in what could be some you know kind of either dangerous situations or not healthy situations or not productive situations or things like that and that goes into the next story in this book where James talks about pointing and calling and he talks about the Japanese railway system which is the best rail races, railway system in the world. It runs extremely efficiently there's you know millions of people that go through it every single day it's it's insane. I grew up in Japan. I went to high school there. So I've seen it happen in, in real life. And it's it's one of those things like you just can't believe how well it runs. But they have this system in the in the Japanese railway system called pointing and calling. And it is where they literally point at something and they say out loud what it is. It's a safety mechanism. But it basically is like if you see a green light, you point at it and you say the light is green. You say the speed is 40 kilometers an hour. You you say, you know, the door is shut. The pathway is clear. You point, you physically point out and you call at it. And the reason that you do it is because it reduces errors. It can reduce errors up to 85% and it cuts accidents by 30%. I mean, those are huge numbers when you think from a safety standpoint and from an efficiency standpoint. And so that's one of those things that can help you and this is the case that James is kind of building towards in this chapter, is that we do so many things unconsciously. But if you want to make something obvious, if you want to get in control of the habits that you have, you have to bring it into consciousness. And one way to do that is to just label what's happening, point and call at it, right? I got a cup of coffee this morning. Say it out loud to the out into the ether, out to your empty kitchen, <laughs> to your spouse. Like they'll think you're crazy. But do it. I do the same thing um, when we go. My son does all these sports. And so when we do all the sports, you have to bring all the things, right? And so um, ever since we went to a baseball scrimmage like an hour away from our house and we show up and my son is wearing flip-flops and his 
cleats are sitting in our basement an hour away and the game starts in 30 minutes. And I had to drive to a store 45 minutes away. The closest athletic store was really far. Buy new cleats. Like the whole thing was a total mess. But ever since then, what, when I walk out of the house, I go, do we have our bat, our glove, our hat, our helmet, our shoes? Are they on our body? Yep. Okay. Yep. We're pointing at them. We're doing it. My husband and my son are like, what are you doing? Like, you sound crazy. I'm like, nope, <laughs> not crazy. I'm not driving to the store again. That was, that was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> so to avoid that, we're going to do things a little bit differently. But it's bringing those things that you do repetitively, especially, right? Like, right, I've given a tour a thousand times and I just go off my script and I don't even realize I'm telling you about, you know, New York when we're sitting in San Francisco. Like when you're doing that kind of stuff, like what, how do you bring that into a conscious space? And that's sort of what what James is building towards in this in this chapter here is that you you need to do that. You need to think about that checklist of stuff you've been doing. What do you think about when the conscious slips back into unconscious? Because I laughed when you told me the story about Austin because Vincent, my son, is a little bit older. Instead of playing baseball, he plays soccer. And so what we would always do before he would go to his games is say, shoes, shin guards, water. And he would say yes. So kind of that same point in calling. Now, I remember one time we went to a game. It was out of town. He played travel ball. And so I said to him before we went, very rote, very automatic, shoes, shin guards, water, yes. So we get to the park, which is now very far from our home. And he says, well, where's the shin guards? I thought you grabbed them. And I said, son. <laughs> Shoes, shin guards, water. That's the activity that you are supposed to be responsible for. So needless to say, we ended up going and finding, thankfully, a store that wasn't that far away. And I said to him, look, we're going to buy two pairs of shin guards. That way we'll keep one in the car just in case this ever happens again. And sure enough, when we got to the park, eventually there was another kid who didn't have their shin guard. So it ended up turning out positively, <laughs> something negative turned positive. Yeah. But I also told my kids when they were little, I would call out to them and say, are you clipped and ready in the seatbelt? Clipped mm -hmm. and ready. And they would say, they would say the same words back. So instead of just saying yes, they would say, yep, clipped and ready. And so it became this unconscious competence of I get in the car, I put on my seatbelt. My kids now are 19 and 21 years old, and they still look at me when we get in the car and they say I'm clipped and ready. Like it's like a thing. It, and they're not doing it because they're young or owe me an accountability, but it's become this unconscious competence of getting ready for a ride. So yeah. I think it's funny to hear your story and we'll see how that continues to to become a habit for Austin. Really yeah, my dad used to do the same thing with seatbelts. He used to say like, we used to say buckle up for safety. Mm -hmm. And if if we didn't say it back to him, he would like fake cry at us and be like, oh, I guess you don't love me because you didn't tell me to buckle up for safety. But it, it's the same thing, right? And, it, and so now I, I don't, that's the first thing I do when I get in a car. I won't even just sit in a car without a seatbelt. It feels weird, right? It's yeah. it's become that level of a habit for me that I that physical sensation of something across my chest and across my lap. It's like anything else is uncomfortable <laughs> because yeah. that's the, you know, that's the standard, that's the norm. But that's the, you know, I think that's the your story with Vincent is the pointing and calling part of it, right? Like 
if you just say it, right, oh, the light's green, it's the physical act, like, it's a literal, I've seen it in, in action, it's a physical act of pointing at it, right, so it'd be the same thing, like, do you have your water, your shin guards, your shoes, like, you're pointing at each That's thing, you're, you're literally checking the box off of, like, I have verified that this is here, and we have checked it off, right, like, I look around the car, and I can point to each of those things, if not, you're going to slip into that, oh, it's just words, right, it's empty words, you have to have the action, associated with it. And James speaks about that in the book. He talks about how the more automatic a behavior becomes, the less likely we are to consciously think about it. And when we've done something a thousand times before, we begin to overlook things and assume that the next time will be just like the last. And we're so used to doing what we've always done that we don't stop to question whether it's the right thing to do at all. Funny story about that is my dad has this habit when he calls me up on the phone that he'll say, uh, have you changed the oil in the car? How's your job? And do you want to talk to your mother? Like those are his three things, every single call <laughs> that we have. And I know that things in life, were, yeah, right? <laughs> have you changed the oil? Do you have a job? Do you want to talk to your mom? <laughs> so we joked about it recently because my job situation has changed. But the first thing I said to my dad when I called him was um I don't I don't want to talk to mom right now because I need to talk to you about my job and yes I've changed the oil and so he <laughs> knew that I was checking off those things he needed to hear so that uh-huh. I could get to the point of what I needed to say I like that that's funny that's super funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so one of the things that James has in the book right about bringing the unconscious to the conscious and like checking things mm-hmm. off right so if you're like well I don't even know where to start on what my habits are what he suggests is writing a list out, right? And so like his example list is wake up, wake up, turn off alarm, check my phone, go to the bathroom, wait myself, take a shower, brush my teeth, floss my teeth, put on deodorant. Like, so just writing these things out and just saying what they are. I mean, I used to use this trick as a manager when we were looking for ways to make our employees jobs better. Mm-hmm. And I would say, hey guys, I want you to track your activities for me for a week. And people would be like, oh, so big brother, you want me to track what you're doing? And I was like, actually, no, what we're going to do is you're going to track them. You're going to theme them and say, hey, I spent 20% of my time on really stupid escalations that could have been prevented. And so it's like, well, how could we prevent them? Right. So, okay, let's free up 20% of your time by getting rid of this task or by putting a system that simplifies it down to now it's only 5% of your time, right? So it's this art of let me just track what I do in a day. Let me just track what I do for a week. And yes, it feels tedious. And yes, it feels dumb, but it helps you really understand what did I do? And really, and this is atomic habits, right? So tiny things, tracking down the littlest bits of what you do, right? So that you can then judge them based on how those habits serve you. Because if you're looking to develop things you want, you're looking to develop an identity that you want to have, you've got to figure out what you're doing now and what's serving you and what's not serving you. Mm -hmm. And to your point, it has to be obvious. So it makes me think about how we subconsciously are probably way too frequently on our phones. So maybe you need a trigger And so one of the things that I have as a trigger is on my phone, it'll say this week, 
this was your habit of being on the phone compared to the last week. And mm-hmm. then I can look at that and say, okay, is that something I really want to do? Or is it something that I can change something on? And he goes on to say here, as we close up this chapter, that it all depends on what you're working toward. So if you want to change something, you have to take an action to make that unconscious thing become obvious and take a conscious action towards changing it. He says towards the end of the chapter that we should question ourselves, like, does this behavior help me become the type of person I wish to be? So even with your story of working on that with your team at work, being able to make that time conscious and what they were choosing to invest it in or waste it on made all of the big difference. So if you were to think about, Sam, a couple of the things that summarize what you took away from this beginning chapter on the first law of making it obvious, what are maybe one or two things that stood out for you this time? I think I, I think it's driving some consciousness around all the unconscious behaviors, right? And really thinking about like, one, I've done this in my past, so I have a way to do this. And I actually, I worked on this, this uh, over this last week, very specifically. I wanted to, I thought about the identity-based habits, right? Who do I want to be? What does that type of person do? And then what am I doing now? So I went through and I looked at my morning routine, right? So I decided like, right, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now. <laughs> I own my own business. So what does somebody like that do? One of the things I came up with was, it seems like most people who are real um, go-getters in the entrepreneurial world are morning people. I've always told myself I am not a morning person and I keep just telling myself I accept that. But I don't want that to be true. I like mornings. I like being the first one up. I like a quiet house, a way to start my morning. I like a real purposeful start to my day. So I said, okay, how do I become somebody that does that? So I tracked what I was doing (laughs) and like it was a hot mess. And then I forgot that I was tracking what I was doing. And then I had to sit down and really think about it. And so it was this super messy, like bringing the unconscious, what was I doing with my day? Like, oh my gosh, I just realized I wasted 40 minutes scrolling through Facebook. I don't even like Facebook. I have all the notifications turned off. Like, and I do it to connect with people because I do like that. But like, I don't want to mindlessly scroll for, you know, half an hour. And it was really putting me in a bad place from an entrepreneur perspective because of all the Facebook ads, right? It was distracting me from the goals I had set for myself. So as as soon as I brought that unconscious habit into realization by tracking it, it helped me redesign what I wanted my morning to really look like. And so that's what I've been focusing on. So for me, like just the the small little effort you can put in to make those actions you're doing, you don't realize, into something that you realize so that you therefore can alter the path you're on was a huge, huge takeaway from this chapter for me. That's wonderful. For me, I think the thing that stood out for me today was that the process of behavior change always starts with your awareness, which means bringing that subconscious or unconscious into the forefront. In fact, next week, we're going to be talking about the best way to start a new habit. It was great talking with you again today, Sam. I can't wait for our next time together. Yeah, I think that next episode is going to be super helpful and build on this. Okay, now you know what you're doing. How do you change it? And that's what the next chapter sets up. So I'm super excited to hear about that and uh, hear your thoughts on how we make that work. Sounds great. So friends, thanks for listening in. We hope that you're enjoying your time with us as we work through Atomic Habits. Please subscribe, share, like, and comment and send us a note about what's standing out for you. My name is Denise Russo and on behalf of my friend Sam Powell, thanks for joining us today on another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf.